0: Kia ora, and welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. My name is Sophia. I am in Wellington, where it's very, very, very rainy outside. My job is with the Kotahi, which is the New Zealand Transport Agency. I've been using my spare time to knit up a storm and practice my Swedish. So, here we go. de deseker,
1: varm ok. Morena, Sophia. I've got no idea what you said at the end there, but I'm glad to know your Swedish practice is going well. By the way, we're going to change things up a bit for these introductions. You can still send in an introduction like normal, telling us who you are and what you're up to. But you can also send through a message of support for your fellow Kiwis, and we'll play those too. Later in the show, we're going to hear why New Zealand's rural communities may need extra help to respond to COVID-19. But first, on Sunday, we got some really
2: hard news. Sadly, New Zealand has had its first death linked to COVID-19 on the West Coast early this morning.
1: That's Dr Ashley Bloomfield, Director General of Health, speaking on Sunday afternoon.
2: As we have seen around the world, COVID-19 can be a deadly disease, particularly for older people and those with underlying pre-existing health conditions. All of our thoughts are with their family and loved ones at this time. The person
1: who died was a woman in her 70s who had underlying health conditions. Dr Ashley Bloomfield says she was initially diagnosed with influenza and she was in hospital for two or three days before a test confirmed she actually had COVID-19. Hospital staff who interacted with her did wear masks and gloves, but they weren't wearing the goggles or full-face visors, which are recommended when dealing with COVID-19.
2: Once the diagnosis was confirmed, staff undertook a range of measures to protect both themselves and other patients. But as a precautionary approach, The DHB has placed 21 staff into self-isolation for the balance of the 14 days since they last had contact with this person.
1: Dr Bloomfield says there aren't any staffing problems at the hospital while those staff are self-isolated because there's now a bit of extra capacity in the health system after the cancellation of elective surgeries. But as Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said, this is a reminder, if anyone still needed one, that this virus can be deadly.
3: It also brings home exactly why we are taking such strong measures to stop the spread of this virus. Left unchecked, it runs the risk of taking the lives of many more people. Today's death is a reminder of the fight that we have on our hands. And everyone can play their part through the simplest of tasks, by not having contact with people outside of your bubble, Stay at home, break the chain and save lives.
1: Also over the weekend, the Hawke's Bay DHB medical officer Nick Jones called out what he described as sustained and unacceptable abuse of some people diagnosed with COVID-19. Speaking yesterday, the Prime Minister had a very direct message to the people handing out that abuse.
3: This virus could affect any one of us and any one of our loved ones. And I know that if we were in that position it would be difficult enough without having to face the unjustified judgment of others. There are 514 people who are or have battled this illness and they deserve our support just as we would for anyone who is sick and in need. While it's
1: understandable that a lot of people may be feeling stressed, frustrated and afraid given the impact of the nationwide lockdown, But it's important that we all work together to remove the stigma and abuse that is accompanying this disease. Because if we end up in a situation where people don't come forward to be tested for COVID-19 because they're worried about online humiliation, that's a huge problem for everyone. That said, we also need to work together to stop its spread. And it seems like Kiwis are working overtime on that front. Both the 111 line and the police non-urgent phone line have been flooded with calls about people flouting the new social isolation rules. The 111 line alone got 2,000 calls in two days. In fact, those services are so overwhelmed that the police have set up a new online method for reporting breaches. So from now on, if you see something you think breaks the rules go to 105.police.govt.nz and fill in the form you see there.
3: It can be used to report isolation breaches or cases of businesses continuing to operate when they are not part of the essential workforce. The police commissioner has urged people to use the online form instead of calling police. That enables them to triage those calls which are most critical and most urgent, whilst also giving people the ability to share where they have concerns that people are not following the rules. Police will take the information reported online and make contact to remind those breaching the restrictions of their responsibilities.
1: And Ms Ardern finished her briefing yesterday with a message directly aimed at those older New Zealanders who were still going out, doing their shopping or trying to visit friends and family.
3: I do worry that our older New Zealanders, um, who may have a tendency to not wish to be perceived to be um, uh, putting anyone out, may not be asking for the help that we need to give them. I, I really want to again restate, you must stay at home. Um, We as a country want to do everything we can to protect you, but we can only do that um, if you stay at home. I've had a number of people who have said to me um, that they have not been able to convince their parents to listen to the advice. And so um, in lieu of anyone out there who's over 70 or has underlying health conditions, who is not listening to their children, please listen to me. Um, You must stay at home. It's devastating to lose anyone. It's devastating to lose a parent. I don't want that to happen to your children. Please stay at home.
1: Meanwhile, the health system is continuing to gear up to fight the outbreak. More than 2,500 retired health workers have signed up to help. There have been offers of assistance from all kinds of places, including 3D-printed face shields being made by a network of volunteers around the country. Overseas, we've continued to see the rapidly escalating toll of the virus. As of this morning, the total number of confirmed cases in the US reached 125,000, which means the US now has more cases than any other country in the world. On Sunday, the number of deaths there reached 2,000. That number represented a doubling of fatalities in just two days, An even grimmer record was set in Italy this weekend, which became the first country to suffer more than 10,000 deaths. All around the world, the focus of media coverage of COVID-19 has been on big cities, places like Wuhan and New York, which have become epicentres for the virus. It's tempting to think that more isolated rural communities are perhaps safer from COVID-19. But as Dr Gary Nixon explained to me, those communities are actually more at risk than urban centres. Dr Nixon works at Dunstan Hospital in Clyde and is an associate professor at Otago University specialising in rural health.
0: There's a lot of people living in rural communities who are working in what have been designated as essential services. I'm thinking of those involved in agriculture and horticulture and, and transport. So we, I think we need to be very conscious that we are, when we're involved in those services in a rural area, we are part of potential chains that aren't being cleanly broken by this, uh, this lockdown. Therefore, we need to be you know we need to be doubly careful we we need to be very conscious of that and 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 very aware of the importance of, of sticking to the guidelines and the rules. New Zealand's rural towns in particular are our oldest communities. They have the lowest socioeconomic status, and they have the highest proportion of maori and and they already have um you know some of our worst health outcomes. So they're all the things that we know that make them more susceptible to to this virus. Yes, of
1: course. And a small number of our coronavirus cases here in New Zealand have been admitted to rural hospital. The current case, as of today, Sunday, which is in ICU, is in one of our smaller hospitals in the region, in Nelson. Do our rural public health facilities have the capacity to deal with the numbers that we're expecting to see over the next few weeks, even as the country is in lockdown?
0: There's been a surprising number of the early cases admitted to even our very small rural hospitals. Our rural health services are vulnerable for a couple of reasons. The first is that they're already facing chronic um, staff shortages. It's it's no secret that um, our our rural health services have really struggled to... um, maintain, uh, particularly medical, but also other health professional staff over the years. But there's another feature of them, which makes them particularly vulnerable as well too. And that is, they don't have something called surge capacity. So, So in a bigger hospital, you're undertaking an awful lot of elective procedures, whereas very small rural hospitals are totally driven by the acute demand. They can't close down um, operating theatres and elective surgical lists and outpatient clinics and things like that to create more capacity to allow them to deal with an event such as this.
1: Now, I mean, interesting, re- relevant to that, we saw quite a number of people who decided to travel to r- rural accommodations to enjoy their lockdown there, their self-isolation period there. But the Coromandel mayor, and they received quite a number of tourists in the Coromandel, he urged people not to do that, not to use their batches for isolation, because they just wouldn't be able to cope if there was a surge in coronavirus cases. So obviously you you think the same.
0: I mean, people are, are where they are already now, and the wrong thing to do would be to shift from where they are. But yes, I I would just strongly discourage people um, shifting from this point onwards um, to to their their holiday home or or whatever. Not only will it put a lot of of pressure on very small health services, it also really adds to the transport and transfer difficulties of getting someone to a larger city should they become become unwell.
1: Now let's talk about some of the risks in rural communities. The swine flu epidemic hit rural Māori communities significantly hard, as well as rural Aboriginal communities in Australia, are Indigenous communities today just as vulnerable?
0: I think that's highly likely that they are. In terms of those social determinants of health, then you'd have to say that um, rural Māori are likely to be particularly susceptible. And, and you're right, if you look historically, there are certainly events in the past which would suggest that they're more vulnerable. You mentioned the swine flu, but but if you go right back to uh, the Spanish uh, flu in in 1918, then we we know that that Māori probably had a mortality rate several times, possibly eight times that of non-Māori. And places like Northland and the Waikato were particularly hard hit. So, yeah, I think we have to be very, very careful about protecting those communities and, and isolating them as much as we possibly can.
1: For Indigenous communities, the practice of uh, self-isolation and social distancing is such a huge adjustment.
0: Mm, that, that's true. That's true. Because it, it runs counter to so, so much um, culturally, doesn't it? Um, yes.
1: And there's such a, there's it, it, such a village culture Around the way that many, you know, including Maori and Pacific families, around they how they live, including uh, perhaps living in overcrowded housing or living with extended families. I mean, what are the challenges to self-isolation when that is your home environment?
0: That's important. I think there's some very, very important messaging that needs to needs to occur in in those communities to get across the absolute importance of that. I think equally important will be the isolation of communities as well as households. So I think we will, it will become obvious to us in the next two or three weeks which communities uh, in, in which there is, is community spread of this uh, virus occurring. And, and when we identify um, vulnerable rural communities in which there is no community spread, then we need to put a huge amount of effort into into actually isolating that community as a whole, and and making sure that the virus doesn't doesn't get into that community.
1: Do you think that that's something that we will expect to see over the next coming weeks or months? The isolation of particular communities.
0: I certainly hope that that's on the on the government's agenda. Uh, I, I think that will be very important from a rural perspective. One of the things that needs to occur quite quickly, is for us to start to see better data at a more granular level about where cases are occurring, which will then make that process much easier. At the moment, it appears we're just reporting cases on a district, uh, at a district health board level, not at an individual community level. Interestingly, for for example, the apart from the Auckland DHB, the DHB regions with the highest number of cases at the moment are Southern and Waikato, which are our two DHB regions with the highest numbers of, of people living rurally. Now, uh, now, it makes an enormous difference to know whether or not those cases at the moment are, are occurring in Dunedin or in Hamilton, or whether or not they're occurring on the Coromandel um, or, or in Wanaka and Queenstown it makes a big difference in terms of planning for the future and also to allow those local rural health services to plan for the, the, the likely influx of patients in the next few weeks. Uh, um, so, so I think that's a very important thing that we just need to see happening.
1: Mm. Dr. Nixon, we keep hearing the phrase "these are unprecedented times," and they are. No one could have ever imagined that in our time we would have a nationwide lockdown, and the way things have spiraled around the world would have been unimaginable just a few months ago. How are you feeling about everything?
0: I'm, I'm like all my colleagues. Um there is a, a certain sense of, of, of trepidation and, and, and a really strong sense of, of the unknown. I, I think we have been very well led um, into this so far, and, and that certainly gives us all uh, gives us confidence. Uh, in in the, the majority of situations, I think we've started to see very good communication from our uh, DHBs um, with our rural health services. That that's not universal around the country, um, but it is happen, happening in most areas. And those uh, outliers amongst the DHBs, I, I really hope they start to sort of improve their communication with, with their rural health services. At a personal level, uh, I mean, I'm I'm also a clinician, um, and you know, I'm I'm dealing, uh, starting to deal with um, COVID nineteen pneumonias myself which is something which, you know, just starting to, starting to get used to. Uh, and and I, I listened a little bit earlier to RNZ uh, this morning and they were starting to talk about how to manage your household when, when there is a member in the household who is um, involved in essential service and, and having contact uh, with, with COVID-19. So, so I'm also starting to, to deal with that and think about that and, and, and how that will work within my bubble. Thanks so much, Dr. Nixon. Finally, we've been encouraging people
1: to get in touch through RNZ's Vox Pop app to ask questions. And over the weekend, we had one particularly important question come through. Hi, my name is Olive. I'm seven and I live in Christchurch. I want to know if the Easter Bunny will be allowed to deliver the chocolate eggs. Thanks for listening to my question. Stay home, everyone. Bye. We didn't know the answer to that question, so we passed it along to microbiologist Dr Susie Wiles to see if she knew.
0: Hi Olive, Um, what a great question. So I've had words with the Easter Bunny and they have promised that they will wash their paws before delivering any eggs. Um, But they've also said that they're only going to deliver eggs to people's gardens and houses. And people have to promise that they'll only do Easter egg hunts with people in their bubble.
1: Thanks very much for that important public service announcement, Dr Wiles. That's all for this week. Please feel free to send in your questions like Olive, or just pass along your messages of support for your fellow New Zealanders. You can do that through RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's free, and you can get it on iPhone and Android. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning, but until then, be kind. Kia Maru, kia kaha. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang, and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere, and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. While you're there, feel free to check out some of RNZ's great non-coronavirus-related podcasts. If you're looking for something to help keep the kids busy, go check out The Best of Storytime, which has hours and hours of stories for kids.